Well, good morning. You're allowed to say it back to me now properly, so I'll say it. you can say it again if you like. Good morning. Great. Uh, if you have kids, then this is the time to send them to the back and they'll be going out to Hannah. If you have musical instruments, this would be a great chance to bring them to Hannah too. As much as I like percussive accompaniment to preaches, I think in this occasion it would be great to give them over to Hannah. And good morning to those of you who are joining us online. It's good to have you with us as well. This, this morning we're continuing our sermon series looking at restoration and the God of restoration. And this week we're looking at restoring the body, which um, I feel like we didn't really intend for this all to be lining up this week, but it feels really significant. The first week that we're able to sing all together in this space is the week that we're also looking at what it means to restore our bodies. Because the act of singing is such an amazing example of that, isn't it? The gift that we have of singing, which is such a physical act, but also draws all of us together and draws us towards the presence of God. Not our physical bodies as we sing and as we move, our minds as we reflect on who God is, and our hearts as we align our emotions with the heart of God. There's such an incredible thing about us singing and worship together, and it's such a bodily thing, isn't it? So... It's just great. I just wanted to note that at the start. That's a different preach, the worship pastor. That's, I just had to say that. So this week we're looking at restoring our bodies. And uh, a bit of a disclaimer for me as we start off. I actually tried really hard to get out of doing this preach today because um, I'm a new dad. And so I've definitely embraced the dad bod as much as I've maybe hidden it in this shirt. Um, I love eating cake at the end of a day. If someone gives me a bit of cake after 8 p.m., I'll likely have eaten it before I've realized that someone has handed me cake. And I actually don't really exercise very, very easily. So the ways that I normally get into routines of exercising is if I trick myself into exercising. So the most recent example of that would be um, I have a Nintendo Switch. And so I bought a game called Ring Fit, which is like this tension ring. And you kind of run on the spot shooting monsters with this ring. And it's, it is exercise form, but uh, it works for me. So I did that for a while and it got me back into fitness again. I realize, as I said that now, that I've lost all of the series athletes in the room. <laughs> but that's okay. It works for me. So all that being said, um, I, I wanted us to come this morning together, uh, not with, with any illusion as if I've got this stuff nailed in my life, but to come around Scripture together and reflect on what it means for God to restore our understanding of our bodies this morning. What does it mean for us to have God-given bodies? We're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 6 together. And I just wanted us to think about that question in another way before I do. And another way of phrasing the question would be, how does your faith in God relate to your body? How does your faith in God relate to your body? Is it a question you've thought about before? I wonder maybe it's one that not many of us have actually really considered all that much, or that much deeply anyway. So keep that question in mind as we read this passage together. We're going to read from chapter 6, 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 12. It says, I have the right to do anything. This is Paul speaking and quoting Corinthians. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for, for, for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? 
Never. Do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute as one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Let me just pray for us. So, Father, as we come before this passage and, and read it and allow it to read us as well, we invite you to speak, to be at work amongst us this morning. To, I, I pray that you would be doing a work of restoring our understanding of, of what it means to be people who were created with a body by you and for you. Would you be speaking to us, I pray. Amen. So it's quite a challenging passage, isn't it? Paul is quite unapologetic in his way of tackling this topic of how we use or misuse our body. But to get a full grasp of it, we need to know some of the context of what's going on. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth, and they're largely this church is full of Gentile Christians rather than Jews. And that's important because I guess Jewish Christians had a heritage and a history of following God in the lifestyle that they led. They knew what it meant to have a biblical understanding of their bodies. But Gentile Christians didn't have that history. So that was their setting. And alongside that, the city of Corinth was quite well known in terms of being very loose on morals. They had a kind of like anything goes approach to their body. They would kind of they would say, I can do whatever I want. They're kind of equivalent to our twenty first century mantra, you do you. And it seems that the influences of culture in Corinth has kind of slowly moved into the church as well. And they too readily carried these Corinthian ideals into the way that they pursued God as well. But you know, there's a lot of similarities with our context, isn't there? Like most of us wouldn't be Jewish, so we don't have that necessarily kind of heritage of following patterns and habits. And alongside that, we live in a culture which thinks quite similarly about our bodies, don't we? And so without thinking, we could naturally begin to adopt some of what we see in culture and bring it into our faith and as we follow God. The things that we see normalized on Netflix, the way that we see our bodies portrayed on social media. And in the last year, where so much engagement with life has been online, and particularly in these quite influential platforms, haven't they? I think now more than ever, we're at risk of drawing in the way that the world understands our bodies and bringing that into how we follow Jesus as well. And so I just want us to note that. I just want us to kind of reflect on it and be aware of it again afresh this morning. And maybe to take a step back and consider what might God want to do in us this morning? What kind of restoring work might he want to do as we come to understand our bodies? What is the distinctive of our faith as it relates to the way that we think about our bodies? So I suggest that there are three things going on, three things that Paul talks about um, here, three unhelpful perspectives that are going on in the life of Corinth. And then also alongside that, there are three restorative ways that uh, God offers through Paul in this, in this letter. Three places of restoration in terms of how we see our bodies. Three dangers, three places of restorations. Those two, three things. So we're going to look at the dangers first. And the three are, I think, we ignore our bodies as if they don't matter. We use them as a means to an end. Or we idolize them as the ends in themselves. 
I think that's the three unhelpful things we see played out in this passage. We ignore them, we use them, we idolize them. Sorry, this is a heavy preach for a summer Sunday morning. But I just want to walk through each of those and how Paul unpacks them. First, we can ignore our bodies. Paul begins by quoting in verse 12, and he says the phrase, everything is lawful for me. And when he's saying that, he's quoting Corinth. This is a phrase that was very well known in Corinth. Everything is lawful for me. And it was a catchphrase which was used to permission lifestyle choices, a way of saying, I can do whatever I want. My body has no consequence, whatever I do with it, and it has no consequence to you. I can do whatever I want. But there's a significant underlying message to this way of thinking. Because if everything is lawful, if everything is permissible, then really nothing that we do really matters. Because there's no other way of thinking about it other than is this lawful or not, and they've decided that everything is. There's no framework to understand why our bodies matter. And if that's the case, then how do we decide the things that are good for us to do? How do we decide the things that are unhelpful for us to do with our bodies? I think the answer is it becomes quite hard because there's not really any externally given measure for us to line ourselves up against. And so we see that from the context of culture, but it also it's worth saying, this is a bit of a caveat, but in the history of church, we've also been quite bad at thinking about our bodies. Quite often, actually, we tend towards ignoring them or treating them quite negatively. Many very influential writers in the early church um, believed that we needed to kind of escape our bodies in order to reach maturity. We needed to get away from bodily existence and get to this kind of intellectual way of thinking about our faith and pursuing Jesus. If we just get to that space, then we'll be really mature in our faith. I think maybe some of it was a little bit of an overreaction to passages like the one we just read this morning. And today, we maybe don't carry that perspective anymore, but I think we still live in the wake of it. I think it still impacts the way that we think about our bodies. And I wonder, actually, from that question I said at the start of the sermon this morning, that for many of us, we don't really even think about how our bodies might relate to our faith. It maybe doesn't even feel like they are all that related. Um, so we can be in danger of ignoring our bodies. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we can adopt this idea that our bodies are just kind of functional. They're to be used to reach whatever goal we want to get to. To be used, and in Paul, in Paul in verse 13 quotes another Corinthian phrase to describe this. He says, food for the stomach and stomach for food. It's which another Corinthian phrase. A modern equivalent might be thumbs for the Xbox and the Xbox for thumbs, if you're a gamer person. Call that bombed. I'm not going to do that tonight. It's great. The implication, use your bodies as a means to an end, as that's all your body is really for. Whatever you can do with your body, you should, would be as well do. Use your body to achieve your higher goals. Indulge in every desire you have because that's what your body is for. Feast until you're overfull at every meal. Drink until you feel particularly happy with every meal. Explore every sexual desire without any limitations placed around it. Our bodies kind of become a tool for use. This way of thinking. And while I've listed some of the more explicit ways of that coming about, there are also far more subtle ways that we see this worked out as well. I just want to give you a more subtle example of that. So when I was in the third year of university, um, I was coming up towards exam time, and it was quite an intense block of exams, quite a few coming back to back together. And so in the lead up to them, 
Um, I just did not treat my body well at all. I stopped sleeping well, I stopped exercising, I stopped eating well. I didn't really take any breaks as I was studying. And actually, at the end of that three weeks exam timetable, um, I ended up quite painfully ill. I got a couple of kidney stones. My body essentially just said eventually, enough is enough. You've been ignoring me or just using me for, for too long, and then go do something about it. I wonder if anyone else has had a similar experience to that, where they've just pushed themselves, pushed their bodies so hard for so long that eventually something has given out. Something has come back and pushed to say, like, what are you doing? You need to slow down. You need to do something different. But you know, it's such a subtle danger, isn't it, that I think even 10 years on from then, I could still be in danger of doing the same thing again. If I come up with a busy season at work or something, I could be really tempted to cut exercise, to cut my sleep, to not eat particularly well, drink lots of caffeine, and just try and push through, um, to use my body as a means to an end. I wonder if anyone else has had that experience. <laughs> Our bodies can become something we use as a means to an end. So if that's the second danger, then the third one that we see laid out here is that we idolize our bodies as an end in themselves. We determine that the satisfaction of our bodies, and particularly Paul here is talking about sexual satisfaction, he says that becomes our ultimate goal and our primary identity. I read this BBC article recently and it was talking about um, the trends of fitness in the last few decades. And it's talk, it said this in regarding the current pressures around what we pursue of their bodies. It says, the current social pressures around fitness prey on insecurities that if we're not constantly working to be more healthy and to be more attractive and spending money on those pursuits, then there's something wrong with us. So the, the current pressures around us are that if we're not constantly working to be more healthy and to be more attractive and spending money on those pursuits, then there's something wrong with us. That's, that's the context we live in, and that's from a kind of non-church-related article reflecting on fitness culture around us. It sets out that we ought to be constantly pursuing a body shape which we see modeled literally as the physical and sexual ideal. That's, that's what we see around us. And equally, I think many of us have experienced this as well, the reverse is true, because if we don't manage to achieve those goals, or if there's something limiting us from ever achieving those goals, then our bodies become places of shame or guilt or real um, kind of disappointment because we can't do what we see uh, culture telling us is the ultimate reason we have a body in the first place. So that's the three unhelpful ways of viewing our bodies that we see in this passage. We ignore them, we use them, we idolize them. And I don't know about you, but I'm, just, I'm not really content with that being the way of looking at my body. I'm sure you're the same. I, I want more. I want my body to be more than those things. I want a better way of engaging with it. I want a way that's more pure and beautiful and good and trustworthy. An understanding of my body that is more aligned with my faith as I pursue God. And the great thing is that scripture offers us that way. It offers us a way of engaging with our bodies which is like that, which is more holistic, which is affirming who we are as people who follow Jesus with our bodies. The overarching response is there's three, three of them, and each of them combat the unhelpful way of looking at our bodies. The first one is where we might be tempted to ignore our bodies. In verse 15, Paul says that Jesus cares about our bodies because they are also his body. Jesus cares about our body because they are also his body. 
Paul writes, don't you know that your bodies are part of Jesus? Your body is claimed by Jesus. And that's not just nice imagery, which I think I've often kind of made it to be when I've read that kind of thing before. Jesus is actually making a claim on your physical body. He's saying, you are mine. And that includes my body. Our bodies matter. Your body matters. That's what we see here. We can't ignore them because they matter to Jesus. And so they matter. And that's not just in the present. When you read verse 14 as well, it talks about the fact that actually Jesus being raised from the dead is the sign to us that bodily existence is going to be our eternal reality as well. We will always have a body in some form. And so our bodies will always matter, not just for here and now. Your body matters. It is fundamentally a part of what it means for us to be human. And Jesus affirms that we belong to him, including our bodies. The second way that scripture offers a more full picture of our bodies is this. While we might be tempted to use our bodies as a means to an end, scripture says your body is a means to receive God's grace. Our bodies are one of the most fundamental ways that Jesus offers himself to us. Because Paul says in verse 13, the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. I just want to unpack that because it's quite important. To, to kind of pull out more, I think we look at the Gospels. And what we see in the Gospels, and particularly the end of Jesus' ministry, is that he gives three gifts to his disciples and to the church, which are ways for us to strengthen ourselves and to pursue God and to remember who we are in him. And all three of those gifts are tied to our bodies. I don't know if you noticed that before. Those, what are those three gifts? The first is the gift of communion, which we're going to be sharing at the end, which I think is brilliant. Given in every gospel, so there's no shadow of a doubt as to its importance. Communion, in that, Jesus transforms an ordinary, everyday act of eating and drinking. And something, which is something fundamental to being human, isn't it? Like that's what we have to do every day. We need to eat and drink. And he turns that into something of incredible significance to us. That he offers himself to encounter us as we eat and drink. Whatever mystery there is to the act of communion... There is something designed to be physical about the fact that we eat and drink together. So that's the first gift is communion. The second is the gift of baptism. In Matthew 28, Jesus sends out the disciples, saying them to be baptized people who believe in him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The baptism, effectively, when you break it down, is washing. It's an act, again, that we do every day or most days for most people where we wash away the dirt and grime of the, the previous day and step out clean into a new day. And in that ordinary, physical, regular activity, Jesus comes into the midst of it and says, as, as you mark your life as a new Christian, I want you to do this with your church body. I want you to celebrate your life with me this way. And in fact, there's no reason why we shouldn't be reminded of baptism every time we do have a shower. If you've been baptized, then when you walk into a shower or a bath to be washed, then we should be expect that we'd be reminded of that act that Jesus is doing and has done in us, that he has washed us free from sin and makes us pure and blameless before the sight of the Father. And if you've not been baptized yet, then I can encourage you, please come and get baptized. We'd love to baptize you. We'd love to join you, uh, to invite you to join us in that journey of faith to you. 
So that's the second gift. The third thing that we receive is actually the presence of God himself and the Holy Spirit. And we read that in uh, verse 19 of chapter 6 of Corinthians, what we were just reading. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. And that's not just nice imagery. That's not just something that sounds nice to say. Paul says that on no certain terms, the Holy Spirit dwells in your bodies. Our physical bodies. In fact, we can grieve Holy Spirit by what we choose to do with our bodies. Because it's not just a spiritual reality, it's a physical reality too. Take a moment just to look at the people around you. You do that just now. All of us who know and love Jesus have Holy Spirit physically dwelling in us. How incredible is that? Not just like this nice imagery, not just a visual idea, but actually physically in our bodies, God is with us. That is the gift that is given in Holy Spirit. So communion, baptism, presence of the Holy Spirit, all of this stuff that's gifted to us is a way of physically reminding us of who we are in God. All physical actions remind us of God's grace towards us. And just as I come into land, the third corrective that we find in this passage is that rather than idolizing our bodies, which was the unhelpful way of seeing them, rather than worshiping them, instead we're called to worship God with our bodies. To glorify him, that's what Paul says in verse 20. And to glorify means to acknowledge and to reveal the greatness and wonder of God. That's the distinctives of Christians pursuing God with their bodies. We don't just pursue the perfect body image, the physical and sexual ideal modeled by society. Instead, we are called to use our bodies as an act of worship and to point our physical lives towards a good creator who affirms that we were made in a physical world with physical bodies. So what does that mean? It means we honor God by acknowledging our bodies as a gift from him first. In our rhythms of waking and sleeping, exercising, eating, working and resting. And we can enjoy our bodies. They've been gifted to us. We don't have to deprive them of good things. But our chief goal isn't just to fulfill every desire we have without any limitations. Instead, it's to have a different vision for our bodies. Where we expect that we might encounter God in our physical lives. We might encounter him in the rhythms of each day and to uncover his holiness and goodness through our physical lives. Let me just give you an example to close. Lindsay and I love cooking a meal from the Dishoom recipe book. Anyone else got the Dishoom recipe book? Yes. Yeah. Very good. It's called the Chicken Ruby, and it is an incredible meal. I'm sorry for any vegans here, but it's just amazing. <laughs> In order to make it, it takes about 24 hours. You need to marinate the chicken overnight. It's like make the paste. It's, very, it's a very long process. But at the end, it's the kind of meal that we sit down to, and at the end, we, we want to praise God for the incredible <laughs> gift of food. But I'm being serious, because I find myself, as I sit and eat it, I, as you eat the flavor, enjoy the flavors of the meal, as you're aware of the spices and textures, listen, you, we should be able to enjoy it. It's a gift. And it can be a place of meeting with God and being reminded of his goodness. The same is true for sport. You don't just play football for the love of the game. You play football, and in your love of the game, it can also be an act of worship to God. The same is true with sex, which is the thing that Paul's talking about most in this passage. Sex in a committed marriage relationship is, is not detached from our faith, but actually fulfillment of a God-given and God-ordained gift of intimacy between two people who commit to one another for the rest of their lives. The same is true of sleep. God gave us the gift of sleep. I love sleep. 
Why would we not expect that sleep would also be a place of receiving the goodness and and, uh, grace of God? Our bodies are a gift from God. Your body matters because it matters to Jesus. Your body isn't just function, it's a means to receive the grace of God. And worshipping our bodies isn't the goal, but we worship God as we live thankful lives in our bodies and form physical habits which remind us that God is with us and have gifted these bodies that we live in. And so I, wanna, I just want to land there this morning and just ask the same question that I asked at the start. How might your faith in God relate to your body? How might you embody your faith as you go into this new week? Where might you expect to meet with God as you live in your physical lives? There might be something you want to reflect on now. Maybe God's already been sharing and prompting something in you relating to that. It could be something that you want to talk about in your communities as you go into this week as you reflect, what does it look like to experience God in my physical life? In a moment, we're going to respond together by sharing communion. Uh, But I just want to pray for us before we do. Father, I'm aware that just even as I've been preaching, that for some of us, um, the topic of our bodies is, is a place of hardship for us, a place of challenge, of struggle, of disappointment. But I pray that this morning for each of us, that you'd be revealing afresh what it looks like to meet with you in our bodies too. To know your goodness, to know your grace, to know your presence with us. And I thank you that we have this gift of uh, communion, of of, of this act where we together can physically receive bread and wine and through that um, meet with you, be reminded of who you are. I just pray for more and more of those kinds of rhythms and habits for each of us in our weeks and each day that we might expect to encounter you as we work, as we walk, as we sleep, as we eat. Thank you that you're in all of this, that you've gifted us with the bodies that we have and we choose afresh to give them back to you, to say thank you for them. I say this in Jesus' name. Amen.